This morning, what I want to draw your attention to is the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. So go ahead and make your way to Jonah chapter 4. I started in on the book of Jonah, I believe it was either the first or second day of the year, the first Sunday of the year. I decided we'd walk through Jonah. I got tired of picking random passages throughout the Bible and having to come up with what do I think I want to preach, <clears throat> preach this week. So uh, the best thing to do then is just to pick a book and go through it. And so we've been going through Jonah uh, in, in our times together. And we made it to Jonah chapter 4. Let me read the chapter in its entirety. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was, was, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Verse 5, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his life to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? If you were to sit down and write a book or a movie script, you might want to write, let's say, a love letter or a, or a love story or a, a, a true crime thriller. Or maybe you want to write a, a war story. Whatever you decide to write on, it's going to follow probably this basic plot line, and this is going to take you back to 10th grade English rather quickly. 
most of our stories start with some sort of introduction where you're introduced to the characters of the story. And that's going to be followed by the rising action. You guys remember this part? The rising action where things are leading up to the main event of the story. And then the rising action is followed by the climax. And the climax of the story is the peak of the story. And from there, there's the falling action. And do you guys remember what the very last part is? I hear some whispers. I don't know what you're saying. Resolution. I'll say it. It's the resolution. This is where, in the story, everything is right again. Everything that happened in this dramatic story, this war movie, this love story, everything is resolved. The guy gets the girl, the soldier returns from home or returns home from war. The crime is solved. Everyone's happy. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the book of Jonah is not like that. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, you know exactly how it ends. In fact, if you were to read Jonah for the first time, blank slate, you don't know anything about it, and you're just turning pages and reading through the book of Jonah, you might expect that it would end in chapter 3. Think about it. Chapter 1, God calls Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah says, no way, Jose, I'm going to Tarshish. Opposite direction. Well, God comes after Jonah. Jonah's running from God's will, and God says, uh, I'm coming after you. You're going to obey me. And so God causes Jonah, via sailors, to be tossed overboard. And Jonah is then swallowed up by a whale. And that, was, that whale was actually God's mercy, or I say whale, we, we know it was not necessarily named a whale, it was a great fish. But that was God's mercy towards Jonah. It saved him from certain death as he was drowning. And then chapter 2, it seems as though God has brought Jonah to the place of repentance. It seems, right? He's brought Jonah to the point of at least obedience, to the point where Jonah proclaims at the end of chapter 2, salvation is from the Lord. I'm going to commit my ways to him. I'm going to, that the vows I, I, I made, I will pay. So Jonah seems repentant, and then chapter 3, Jonah gets sort of a second chance. God comes to him again and says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, a great city, and tell them what I tell you to tell them, which is, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Go tell Nineveh, Jonah, that I'm coming to punish their sin. And Jonah goes this time. He looks pretty good. And what follows but this mass revival, this, this, this revival that basically uh, makes every other revival throughout history looks so small. I mean, this is almost a whole society that gets turned upside down by the gospel. So, end of the story, right? No. Why not? Jonah seems like he's back in line with the Lord's will. The people of Nineveh are saved. 
So what left, what is there left to really discuss here? Why would there be a chapter four? What's that about? Well, here's what it's about. God is not done with Jonah. He's not done with him. Jonah has externally obeyed. He's went to Nineveh. But guess what? Jonah has some heart problems here. Internally, he's not where he needs to be. He's got this heart issue that is plaguing him. Although his external actions have lined up. In fact, I've, I've titled this sermon, The Right Mission, Wrong Heart. Jonah did what he was supposed to do. He was on the right mission. He went and proclaimed Nineveh's sin to them. But he had the wrong heart the whole time. And you're about to see it exposed here. And it's interesting how we can all do this. We can all do the right things with the wrong heart. That's not unique to Jonah. Times change, cultures change, but guess what doesn't change? The human heart. Everything that we see in Jonah's heart, we may see vestiges of, traces of in our own. So when we talk about the heart, what is the heart? Like when you think about when the Bible talks about the heart, what is it? What's it speaking of? Here's a simple definition I've gotten from one of my professors. It says the heart is the mission control center of your life. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's the mission control center. It is headquarters, if you will. It's responsible. It's where you do all your thinking, your planning, all of your volition, all your desires. They take place in the realm of this thing we call the heart. And ideally, we know, we know our hearts are not always like this, but ideally our hearts would be in line with God's heart. We should want the things that God wants. We should want to do the things that God wants us to do. We should desire what God desires. And with respect to Jonah who was God's chosen missionary or messenger or prophet, however you want to frame it, his heart was not in line with God's. That's what we're going to see. He was to have the same heart as God's heart. We often talk, when we're, when we're thinking about missions and people who feel that they're called to missions, we might say that they have the heart for missions. You ever heard that phrase? That person has a heart for missions. That's a, that's a fine phrase, but what do we mean by that? What heart should a missionary have? That's the question before us. Listen, I know that the Bible does not have the word missionary in it, but it has the concept, and conceptually, Jonah is a missionary here. He's going to an unreached people and proclaiming to them their sin. And I hope that you see yourself as a missionary of sorts. I hope that you see yourself as a, as a messenger, as a representative of God to people all around you. We all are. And so if that's the case, the question that is raised is what should be going on in your heart in those moments? 
What's the right attitude you should carry into the mission field, your mission field, at work or wherever you're at? The word hard is not found in our passage, but this is exactly what God is going to reveal in the life of Jonah. He's going to correct Jonah's skewed heart. And there's really two stages to this. In in two stages in this passage, God instructs Jonah about the heart his messenger must have. God looks at Jonah and says, you did the right thing, but you're not thinking the right thing. Your motivations are off. Well, how so? We're about to see it. In stage one, really verses one through nine, Jonah's heart is exposed. God is doing the work of exposing Jonah's heart. Here's how his heart is is off. It's made very evident in the first nine verses. This is really God's final act of compassion in the book of Jonah. If you remember, my, my conviction is that the book of Jonah, though you can say a lot about it, is primarily about God's compassion. I think you see it on every page and every paragraph of Jonah. God is compassionate. That's the point of the book of Jonah. And in chapter 4, what you see is yet again another example of a compassionate God, not just in his, in his thoughts towards Nineveh, but also in his dealings with his prophet here. He is patiently instructing Jonah. He could just rebuke Jonah and be done with it. But what you see is a patient God willing to walk Jonah through his own heart. He's going to take Jonah on a guided tour of his own heart. He's going to show what happens when your heart doesn't match God's heart. Especially when it relates to those who don't know God. Now, before we dive into our passage, let's remember the context a little bit. Let's scoop up the context. Remember what happens in chapter 3? I know we just kind of talked about it. Chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches the lights out. I mean, it's like, it is a, it's a revival in epic proportions. It would make a, a Billy Graham crusade look like nothing. Jonah preached the sermon of his life, and Nineveh, in mass, or on mass, repents of their sin. There's a total disruption to this wicked society. From the king all the way down to the commoners, there was total repentance, internal remorse, external fruit of having repented. They aligned their ways with God's ways. And God does not destroy Nineveh. All is well, right? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. This all happens and Jonah is displeased. But, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Jonah, what is there to be angry about? What in the world could you be mad about? In chapter 3, what happened in Nineveh? You preached a sermon that literally saved a whole city from a Sodom and Gomorrah-like destruction. Why are you displeased with this? In fact, why are you angry about this? This was a successful mission. And there it is. 
That's why Jonah was displeased. Because it was successful. He did not want success. Jonah did not want Nineveh saved. He is probably the only preacher in history who would have preferred that people fell asleep during his sermon. Why? Why, why was he so displeased? What, what made him angry? Well, Jonah knew the truth about God. What did he know? Well, listen to his prayer in verse 2. He's greatly displeased, and what does he do? He angrily, in the spirit of anger, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was, was not this what I said while I was in Tarshish? Or, sorry, in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Well, Jonah, why did you do that? He explains, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Now, that's a weird verse to re read in an angry tone. Most of us love that truth about God, that he is compassionate and that he, he's gracious and he's abundant in loving kindness. He's, he's taking a lot of language from uh, Exodus 34, kind of almost quoting scripture in an angry way. Who doesn't like that about God? Well, Jonah doesn't. Who doesn't like the fact that although God will by no means clear the guilty, he is ready to extend compassion on sinners. That's the whole book of Jonah. Compassion, 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 patience, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. He's had, God has had compassion and patience towards the pagan sailors in chapter 1, the, the Ninevites in chapter 3. And most remarkable of all, as it pertains to this passage, he's had his compassion on Jonah himself. The same mouth from Jonah chapter 2 that said salvation is from the Lord is decrying that compassion in chapter 4. Jonah loved being the recipient of grace, but he was upset when, a gra when grace was applied to others whom he did not approve of. As you will know, this urgency to extend mercy to others is should be for the Christian grounded in the fact that we've been forgiven so much. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We love because we have been loved so greatly. And Jonah is missing it. Why doesn't Jonah like that Nineveh was saved? We've talked about this before. And there are a, a few opinions on this. Um, let me remind you first that Nineveh was a city in Assyria. It was um, probably the, the largest city for a long time in Assyria. In fact, it served as Assyria's capital until its downfall. And if you know your Old Testament well, you know that Israel and Assyria, they kind of have a... Uh, contentious relationship. 
They are not on good terms. So, so what you have here, consider the, the circumstances here. What you have is, is, is an Israelite prophet called to go to enemy territory, one of the, one of the strongholds of, of the enemy. And he is to warn this, let's say, political enemy about the coming destruction. And on top of that, Nineveh, I think there's probably layers to this, but I think Nineveh was also just well known for their immoral lifestyle. They were not people that you'd want to be associated with. They were immoral and they, yeah, they, they were evil continually. And on top of that, Jonah might have been thinking, God, you are Israel's God. You're ours. So you want me to go to our enemies and, and preach to them your mercy? God, no one else can have you. There, there, there may have been a whole mess of things going on in Jonah's heart in this moment. This is, this is the sad reality of our hearts that our hearts do not match God's hearts. Jonah looked at Nineveh and saw an enemy. Jonah looked at Nineveh and saw ethnicity. He saw culture. He saw all of these different things. He saw wickedness. But listen, God does not care about politics, but here Jonah does. God does not look at ethnicity, but here Jonah does. God does not look at nationality. Here, Jonah does. Rather than seeing sinners in need of grace, he saw an enemy. So Jonah says, God, just wipe them out. Be done with them. And when God doesn't, when God extends his compassion on Nineveh, it doesn't just peeve Jonah. It angers him to the breaking point. I mean, Jonah is broken over this. Imagine that. Imagine being broken over the salvation of someone else. Notice the level to which Jonah is angered in verse 3. So I know who you are. You're compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in loving kindness. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. Jonah says, I would rather die than be the prophet who brought Nineveh, who you used to bring Nineveh to salvation, to preserve Nineveh. God's compassion on Nineveh sucks all the desire for life out of Jonah. You want to know the condition of your heart? What does this to you? What angers you most? What takes away your will to live at the snap of fingers? What's on display here? What God is bringing up is Jonah's heart. It's being exposed. And while Jonah is in this state of despair, the Lord just asks him a, a probing question. In verse 4, he res the Lord responds to Jonah's plea to take his life. He says, do you have good reason to be angry? 
What's the right answer? What would be the right answer? right answer would be no. Jonah, you have no right to be angry. In other words, do you, he's asking, do you feel like you have the right? Are there really grounds for your anger, Jonah? The right answer is no, but what does Jonah say? No response. I find that interesting. It's almost as if he knows what's right. He's just, it's kind of like a pouting teenager when you tell them they can't go out with their friends or something and they're just, you know, they don't want to say it, but they know maybe, uh, maybe you're right, maybe you know better. The right answer is no, God, you are right. You have the right to extend mercy to whoever you want to extend mercy to. But Jonah is saying in his heart, yes, I have every right. So as God is exposing Jonah's heart, here's the first thing we see. Jonah is utterly compassionless towards Nineveh. And he's allowing other factors to drive his decision, or to, to drive his heart rather than compassion. Maybe it's politics, nationality, whatever it is. But maybe most striking of all in this passage, maybe the most striking thing here, is that Jonah is disagreeing with God's decision to save. He's calling into question God's mercy. If the roles were reversed, Jonah would have Destroy Nineveh yesterday. Jonah believed he knew what was right more than God knew what was right. If he were in the driver's seat, things would have gone differently. And he thinks he knows better than God about who should and should not be forgiven. Jonah is rebelling, rebelling against God's will here in his heart. This is Jonah's heart, completely out of harmony with God's. Completely. It's not even close. And listen, if you find yourself in this position, just a quick sidebar, if you find yourself in this position, you need to repent quickly. If you find yourself on the other side of the table from God, arguing with God, you need to repent quickly. Because guess who's wrong? Not God. God's going to expose this heart more as we go. So after God asks this question, Jonah's only response is one of action. He goes out of the city and in my mind's eye, pout him. Read on with me. It says, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So Jonah evidently is so done with Nineveh that he doesn't want any part of it. He wouldn't stay in that city one minute longer. He couldn't stand it. He's 500 miles from home. You would think he would want to find somewhere to, to rest until he's ready to leave. But in protest, he goes outside the city, folds his arms, builds a shelter, sits in the shade, and just decides to sit there and watch what would happen in Nineveh. It raises the question, what did he expect would happen in Nineveh? Well, generally, there are two views on this. Some people say, well, he's hoping that Nineveh's repentance was superficial and God would change his mind and destroy them and he wanted to you know, have front, uh, front row seat to that. 
Or, you know, another group says he's hoping that God comes around to his side of things and maybe God would change his mind again and destroy Nineveh. Nonetheless, it seems that Jonah is probably still holding out hope that Nineveh would be destroyed. And he's sitting there and look what happens. The Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Now remember, Jonah made a hut already. He made a little shelter. Apparently it wasn't a very good one because he was not comfortable in that shelter. So God causes this gourd, this, this, this big plant to grow, grow up over his head. Remember, Jonah is sitting in the middle of the desert. This is modern day Iraq, northern Iraq. He's sitting there probably just I mean, I thought I was hot at a sin camp, but man, this is like hot times 10. Middle of the desert, and God appointed, note that word, God appointed a plant that provided good shade for Jonah and made him comfortable. That's pretty great, right? God's pretty merciful to him. And so this gourd sprouts up. He's sitting in some good shade. And so this Jonah, who two verses ago was fuming, is now rather happy. It says, Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Note the contrast, and you'll start to see Jonah's heart. Angry about the salvation of the lost, pretty happy about a plant. I mean, he's, he, he's delighted. Why? Well, I think it's because this plant made him comfortable. This plant provided shade, delivered him from his discomfort. Now he's comfortable. Now he's good. And his heart is being exposed in the meantime. And so this happiness, as you know, is short-lived. Next thing that happens is God appointed. Remember, he appointed the plant. Now God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. So you see this rep re repeated phrase, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed, God appointed the gourd, the worm, the wind. And listen, God's not messing with Jonah. God's not just playing a game with Jonah. He's instructing Jonah. This is, this is an object lesson for Jonah. He's exposing him. And so the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his life to die, saying, death is better to me than life. We've seen that phrase before, haven't we? Nineveh is saved. Extreme anger begs to die. That's Jonah. Also, Jonah, a plant is destroyed. Extreme anger begs to die. And so God asks him the same question from verse 4. God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? What's the right answer? No. 
same Jonah who could offer no response when it came to the salvation of people, offers a response here. When it involved the destruction of a simple plant, Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry even to death. This, this, is a, this is a good reason for me to be angry, God. I have the right to be angered here. You start to see slowly these layers being peeled back in Jonah's heart about what he cares about. You're starting to see his skewed heart. And you're starting to see what God is trying to expose in Jonah's heart. It's unbothered if Nineveh is destroyed, deeply disturbed, disturbed by his comfort being taken. Now, listen, I've, I've saved some of my commentary on verses 1 through 9 because in verses 10 and 11, God offers his commentary. He doesn't just rebuke Jonah. He's instructing Jonah about the, the heart he needs to have in verses 1 through 9. You see in verses 1 through 9, Jonah's heart exposed, held up to the light for examination. And that's exactly what he does in verses 10 and 11. The second stage here, stage two, is that Jonah's heart is examined. It was exposed. God's teaching him a lesson. In stage two, here's where the lesson culminates. Jonah's heart is examined. So as Jonah's heart is held up to the light, God delivers his thoughts on what we've seen. And listen, this is the punchline. This is the knockout blow of this passage. This is what God needs Jonah to see. This is what God needs you and I to see. Verse 9. Simply, excuse me, verse, verse 10 simply restates what happened here. He says, the Lord says to Jonah, you had compassion. There's that word. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Now, a lot of you in here are farmers or a lot of you guys have gardens and you know the effort it takes to, to cultivate crops. You gotta water, it takes time, see them come to maturity, you gotta plant the seed, Wait, and um, I'm, I'm very limited in my ability to expound on gardening or, I don't know, producing crops. I don't know. I would kill everything that uh, I planted. But Jonah, listen, you know the effort it takes, but, but Jonah did not do any of that. He did not plant any seed. I mean, the, 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 the gourd basically just came up out of nowhere, came over his head, and then it disappeared like that. No involvement on Jonah's part. So Jonah was, think about this, he was attached to this, to this thing. He had compassion and anger over this plant in which he invested no time, effort, or anything. This thing had a lifespan of 24 hours. And God says, you were thrilled about that plant. You loved it. And you hated it when I took it from you. So here it is, verse 11. You were mad about the plant, Jonah, should I, verse 11, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, 
the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Jonah, look at what you're concerned with. You're my prophet. You're my messenger. Where's your head? Where's your heart right now? You're wrapped up in trivial matters. Small things. You're wrapped up in your own selfishness. You're giving your attention to these trivial things that are here today, gone tomorrow, and you couldn't care less about this city filled with lost souls. You couldn't care less. God says, you don't care about that. You don't care about a whole city that doesn't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, but you care about a plant. I got to say, reading through and studying for Jonah chapter 4 has made me reconsider whether or not I really think Jonah was genuinely repentant in chapter 2. It seemed as if he was, but man, his heart was way off. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line of what God is saying is that the emotions Jonah exhibited over the plant should have been the emotions he had for Nineveh. Happy when Nineveh was saved and sadness over its possible destruction. That would have been the right heart to have. And that's, what heart, that's the heart that we need Christians. So I think there are two appeals that I want to make, or maybe two questions I want to ask. The first one is, are you, or to what extent are you a Jonah? It's easy to be hard on Jonah. Poor guy. I mean, his whole life is just there to read. But Hey, it's easy to be hard on him, but let's look inward. Do you have the heart that God has when it comes to, let's say, missions? We're sharing the gospel with your neighbor. Where is your heart? Is, do you have the heart of Jonah where the first thing you see in people are all the reasons they don't deserve God's mercy. Now, I don't think any of us would ever admit that or say it out loud. But are there reasons that you're giving, maybe to God, as to why you should not share the gospel, why, why they don't deserve his compassion? Maybe they're too evil and you want to see them destroyed? Maybe... They're just different and you don't want to go to that extent and you tell God, no, I'm not sharing the gospel. Maybe they're on the other side of the political aisle and you say, they're supporting some wicked things. They are supporting abortion, which murders more innocent lives than anything else. Maybe you look at someone else and you think they don't deserve God's mercy. 
But listen, nor do you. Nor do you. Had it not been for God's grace, you may be in the same boat as them. You may be just as wicked as them. You have the same heart. So rather than seeing them through the lens that God sees them through, you disagree with God in his application of mercy. Some deserve it, some don't. But guess what? No one deserves it. It's all grace. Or maybe you're concerned for the fleeting things, like Jonah's concerned for this gourd. Maybe your concern for fleeting things trumps and far outweighs your concern for eternal destinies, the eternal destinies of those around you. If you are going to fulfill the Great Commission, if you're going to share the gospels with, with the gospel with others, if you're going to make disciples as we're called to do, you need to have the heart that God has for the heart. No qualifications I'm sharing. I'm telling them about God. I'm telling them about the good news of the gospel. The, the lost are the lost, and they need the gospel. No qualifications. <laughs> this heart is something that you and I can repent of if we ever see any vestiges, vestiges of this in our heart. This is something we can repent of, confess to God today. And guess what? God will be faithful to forgive you for this kind of heart. God is patient with those of us who have this heart to some extent. But Christian, this is, that, that's the wrong heart to have when you're thinking about the lost world around you. The gospel should be our priority, not other things. Secondly, there are those of you who are maybe like Nineveh. There are some Jonas in here, possibly, and then there are some Ninevites in here who need God's grace and forgiveness. There are those of you in here who don't know Christ. And what you need to hear is that the Lord, the same God who had compassion on Nineveh, longs to have compassion on you. The way by which he's done this, he's extended his hand of mercy to you is through a man named Jesus, his son, who came, lived a perfect, spotless, pure life, the life that we failed to live, and he died the death that we should have died. If you place your faith in his offer for salvation, if you place your faith in him, you follow him and you repent of your sin, call on him to save you from the consequences of your sin, he is merciful. He will have compassion on you just like he had on Nineveh. Nineveh was not a great city, morally bankrupt, no doubt. It does not matter how bad you are. God's mercy is greater. 
love Isaiah 30. I was reading Isaiah the other day, and this verse just was a fresh reminder of this. Isaiah 30 says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. When you think of God in the Old Testament, do you think of a God who's ready to punish or a God who is gracious? It says, Therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. Friends, I, I pray if you don't know this God, consider these things. If you have not received his mercy, now could be the time to do so. There's nothing more important. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we look at Jonah, we, we see ourselves oftentimes. His life is held up as an example of someone who often did not do the right things, who had the wrong heart when it came to the evangelization of the lost. And God, help us if we see any traces of that in our own lives and hearts. We pray that you would help us write that. Would you help us repent from that? Cause us to have the compassion on others that, that you have. Lord, you long to save people like Nineveh. You, you long to save those who are far from you. And I pray that we would have that same heart wherever we're at. That, that, that we long to extend the gospel, mes- gospel message to those around us who don't know you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and your compassion on us. It's in your son's name that I pray all these things. Amen.